Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the MamaCrats.com. listening to Monocrats. I'm your host today, Julie Pipert. Uh, if you'd like to see anything that we write, please come visit us at mamacrats.com. On our site also, you'll notice that we have been one of the blogs selected to go to the Democratic National Convention in Denver in August. We do have a donate button if you'd like to be generous and help us get there and offset some of the expenses. If you're not familiar with Mamacrats, we are a blog with a group of fantastic mom bloggers who write about progressive politics in the United States. We've got 22 writers across the country, and today we're going to talk about hot topics on the blog and in the news, going from red to blue in battleground states, and hot happenings at the Virginia Convention. We have also today joining us Donna who is also SoCal Mom, and she is in Southern California. Don, are you there? Don, are you there? I'm here. I don't know if you've got me in. I do. It just was a short lag there for a minute. I'm not sure why. Thanks for calling in. We're also well, going to have joining us uh, Stephanie from the D.C. Momocrats Bureau. Um, she's obviously out in Washington, D.C., and uh, she recently went to the Virginia Convention. And as soon as she calls in, we'll get going with her, but I'm glad, Donna, that you're here. Um, how's your weekend? It is very hot in Los Angeles. We've had triple-digit temperatures all weekend, and um makes me think about energy and the cost of it. <laughs> It's a hot topic, absolutely, no pun intended. So that that's, a, that's actually one of the things I wanted to start talking with you about, the news stories or issues that are going on right now that really have captured your attention that you think are really important. Well, this has been a very busy week. There are lots of issues. But since we're talking about energy, I think that McCain calling for offshore drilling flip-flopping again and saying that he would like to see us remove the environmental protections we've had all this time because he wants to get immediate, you know, quote, unquote, immediate relief to the American people who are paying so much for gas when they're not even drilling all the land they already have. And it would take at least 10 years to get this into the pipeline. It doesn't make sense. You think it's a one-dimensional solution that's not really going to solve the problem. I think it's like the holiday gas tax. And I'd be more interested in seeing more work on finding out what's going on with that Enron loophole and how much speculators are having to do with this and also how the cost of the dollar is affecting the price of oil. 
Oh, absolutely. And definitely the speculative oil trading is affecting the cost of the gas. They're projecting that this summer it could go as high as 5 to $6 a gallon just off the hurricane um, projections for this summer, this season. So I, I think that's a good point. We also have uh, Stephanie from D.C., like I said, and I'm going to ask her what she thinks the hot topics are. Hi, Stephanie. Are you with us? Hi, I'm here. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Donna was just talking about the energy issue and the gas and the prop proposal from John McCain about how to solve the pain of the gas pump. Uh, what do you think right now is the strongest issue, biggest deal, hot news story? Well, I'll tell you what I think is the hottest news story that we're not hearing, and that's the torture issue. And Jayleth wrote about this on Momocrats earlier this week, and I really, I'm, I'm finding it hard to believe that it's not getting more attention from the press. Maybe it's, it's not news to everyone, and they just assumed this was already going on. But, you know, actually having confirmation from physicals and, and interviews of, of um, people who've been held by the United States, you know, evidence of torture, that, that really disturbs me, and I'm really surprised that people aren't paying more attention to that. That's a, that, yeah, that's a good point. And that was an independent third party that conducted uh, basically medical checkups of people who had been held in Guantanamo, and they did find evidence of torture and abuse. It, it, that's in the report in Jayla's article, correct? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and from what I understand, too, I mean, there is, you know, of course, no definitive way of knowing if the torture, you know, the evidence of torture that they're finding happened beforehand and, I also understand that, that part of, of their training, I guess, if we can call it that, um, for those who, who really are terrorists is um, to claim that they were tortured while they were held. But at the same time, I would think that, you know, considering we had this third-party independent report, I would think that be hearing something out of Congress, you know, we should be looking into this, we should be sending independent people to Guantanamo and seeing what's going on who aren't part of the military structure, I, you know, I don't know. <clears throat> that brings but up I'm just really surprised that we're not hearing more about it. I, I agree. And it's kind of the catchphrase right now, isn't it, answerability. Um, Donna, do you think there has been adequate critical thinking and answerability uh, risen um, in the mainstream media and in the public about the gas and energy issue? Or do you think that also has kind of fallen aside the way Stephanie's talking about with the uh, torture issue? I think that our media suffers from ADHD in a way because they just kind of flip from one thing to another. And I swear they've been spending more time on softening Michelle Obama this week than they have on the torture issue, the environment, on the fact that Congress passed this compromise on FISA and Iraq funding, um, and the whole, you know, the political contributions. That's what meet the press all its time on today and that was an important issue but not as important as these other ones right and they're they're just not getting the attention what kind of implication does this lack of answerability and this lack of questioning have on the campaigns um, and how do you think it affects the voters well I think that they like to divert our attention from real issues I think that's tried and true. I think the media doesn't do its job in getting the information out to people. Um, 
I had numerous conversations with people this week, just you know, getting ready for this podcast, just to get a feel. And nobody knows any of this. I had friends who didn't even know that John McCain now supports waterboarding. And really, and we had we ran that story on Monocrats what two three weeks ago? Yeah, yeah, yeah. and that, and it, it came out in a very small way in the media, which backs up your point, Stephanie. So, so how do you think um, again that this lack of news coverage and so forth affects uh, the campaigns and the voters? Gosh, you know, I I think you know I, I as far as affecting the voters, I think that maybe the media underestimates them. And, and thinks that we're more concerned in surface issues like, you know, whether or not Michelle Obama is considered, you know, soft and approachable and, you know, able to appear on Oprah than, you know, what what our presidential candidates' real policies are. And um, I think that's kind of sad. And and maybe there are some people who are more interested in, in the human interest side of politics, I guess. But I think there's got to be a way to relate the human interest to policy in some way, and, and we're just not seeing, seeing that. And I think it goes back to um, what Aaron posted about today on Momocrats, you know, the, the lack of accountability. The media just isn't looking for it anymore, and they're more interested in the soundbite than real journalism these days. And, um, you know, I'm not a journalist, so I feel like I, I shouldn't throw stones. And when I was at the, the Democratic um, Convention here in Virginia last weekend, I watched them and how fast they had to work. And, uh, it, you know, I, I just remember thinking, what a crappy job. I wouldn't want to do that. And and talking with some of the other journalists there, some of them who are more into you know, the interviews and actually sitting down and getting to know someone and, and their policies and, and things like that, I mean, that's just not as valued, I think, by the, the media anymore. Newspapers don't have as many people on staff who are doing that. Yeah. Um, newspapers are freelancing that out. And so that's got to be part of it. You know, they've got this really fast news cycle and, you know, the ADHD that, that Donna mentioned. And it's, I don't know, I think it's kind of contributing to the decline of news. I, I think I, a lot of that is media consolidation. I, I agree, Donna. It was interesting. Yesterday, um, Charles Kuffner, who's a blogger uh, off the cuff here in Houston, and I sat down with a state senatorial candidate for Texas, Rain Men. She's out of District 16, which is uh, up in Dallas County. She was in town for the day, and when I sat down and started asking her questions, she looked at me, and she just she had such a look of surprise on her face, and I said, you know, what's, you know, what's shocking you here? And she said, What's shocking me is that you're spending the time to get to understand not just what my position on the issues are, but that you're curious what my position is and why I have that position and what I want to do with it. She's like, you're asking so many questions, and and I don't want to sound like I think that's bad. I'm just surprised because I haven't had that before. And that that was very telling to me that, you know, a, a senatorial, a state senatorial candidate had not had an in-depth questioning about her positions. Um, that is a lot. I, 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 think it's, it's, I think it's what, Donna, you're saying. Now, you took the time, Donna, and I think this is interesting, you took the time to talk to the man on the street um, and woman. Excuse me, I was using that in a general sense. Um, I, I have a couple of questions. First off, um, what did you hear from them as far as what they thought and what they thought they knew, and how that matched up with what you know is truth based on position papers from the candidates. And were they 
telling you that they were hearing what they needed to hear from the media? Uh, no. These were casual conversations that we had. Mm-hmm. I um, had dinner the other night with longtime friends. They've been lifelong Democrats. Haven't had time to see much of them during this cycle. And I was surprised to hear them both feeling very, very angry still about Hillary Clinton losing, you know, about the way the election has gone, about Obama being the presumptive candidate. And hearing that, you know, that that they were actually thinking of voting for McCain. And I'm like, you're the ones, you know, because yeah. I did not know any, any Democrat that would seriously think of voting for McCain, but they were. Now, was but that they a reactionary had, vote or also based in a mis, you know, misunderstanding of him as a moderate? It, both. It was a reactionary vote. They feel very strongly that Obama didn't wait his turn. Those are the words they used, that he didn't have enough experience. Um, a dislike of Michelle Obama, all of these things that we in our little momocrat world think is, you know, superficial. These are educated attorneys, um, very busy, have been active in politics in the past, and they are echoing these things that we were not thinking were really going to be a factor, and now I'm seriously worried that those things are a factor. Yeah, that's interesting. And see, this is exactly the the big push with this campaign for Senator Obama is to turn the battleground states from red to blue. And what you're talking about are some people who are blue potentially going red. What what Um, can work to talk them out of that? Well, I think giving them the facts. You know, they were thinking of the John McCain that was being covered in the year 2000. They were thinking that, again, that he was a moderate, that he, you know, cared about women's rights, that he took a stand on torture, which he did, but then he changed his mind, that he wouldn't have Karl Rove working for him, which he originally said, but then he changed his mind. Um you know, I think that when you point these things out to Democrats, it will make a difference. But the problem is the media isn't doing that. The media is in love with John McCain. And they're not they're not showing it. Yeah. The man crush. <laughs> what Stephanie, why do you think the media has such a big man crush? And that was an article on Momocrats this week. Why do you think that there is this huge man crush? Well, you know, he's, uh, from what I've heard, he's a charismatic person, and that has something to do with it. But I was actually talking to my husband, who you all know is a Republican, the enemy. And, you know, we were sitting at the beach with the boys yesterday, and we were talking about some of the issues that we, the Momocrats, have been discussing throughout the week. And what came up was Michelle Obama and Cindy McCain. And we were discussing, you know, Cindy McCain's drug problems and, you know, the theft from her charity and all of that and, um, how if that were to happen, you know, we were to hear about that in Michelle Obama's past, she would immediately be labeled a crack whore and Obama's presidential aspirations would be over. So we were talking about that and I'm like, I just don't understand the disparity here. And he's like, well, you know, John McCain has been around for a long time. So they've already gone through this before. It's already, you know, they've already been there, done that. It's kind of like Whitewater with Hillary didn't come up again because the media has already done that and they're just not interested anymore. And so that may be part of it. A lot of, um, you know, they've kind of gotten through their honeymoon period with John McCain, and 
Obama and the Obamas are new. They're fresh meat, so to speak, and you know they're, so they're like sharks in, in a way of vetting. You think it's a little bit of vetting? I think so. I think that is part of it. I don't, I don't think it's very fair, and and I don't think that you know reporters should be getting so cozy, cozy with John McCain and talking about how they have a man crushes on him. <laughs> it's, I, I think that may be part of it. You know, whether it's whether it's conscious or not, I think that may be part of what's happening. I think. Um, Trey, a Republican, may have actually pointed out to me why this is going on. Yeah, interesting. Donna, well, I don't, I don't know if the McCains have been vetted so much on a national level, at least as far as um, Cindy is concerned. Um, you know, he uh, dropped out of the race pretty early in 2000 because of uh, things that happened, the Bushies that Karl Rove did to him. Um, Today's Los Angeles Times, though, has a very interesting article on Cindy McCain's beer company and what kind of conflict of interest the McCains would have if he were president because they are not talking yet about divesting. And, I mean, she is chairman of the company. McCain's son, Andrew, is the CFO, and the company has fought Things like, you know, Mothers Against Drunk Drivers and labeling alcohol content in beer. So it's front page on the L.A. Times today. It's very interesting. I wonder if that's going to get some national play, um, stories like that, um, when they do do the kind of digging down and saying, okay, wait a minute, what you're doing in your business is indicative of your position on issues. Let's ask about that. Do you think that's going to start getting national play? God, I hope so. They were saying that. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, as a senator, he's divested himself from. I mean, he's he's recused himself from voting on issues having to do with the alcohol industry. But as president, he wouldn't be able to do that. And there would be decisions made that would benefit the family totally, even if they had their own interest in trust. I think the thing that that strikes me, if we could get a little bit personal, Stephanie, you had an article, it was very heartbreaking about how you got dumped by Patrick, without even a tweet. (laughs) It's okay, I'm moving on. (laughs) You're moving on, I know. But I think what was interesting is that initially the McCain uh, campaign was definitely reaching out, and and we've covered this a bit um, on the blog they were reaching out, including us in, in calls, and as you put, you, you did it in a facetious tone, but all of that was actual. That was, you know, real events where they said, we want to talk about health care, it's important to us, and bipartisan, and all the right words. But when we got into the calls and began digging down through the positions and the issues, we found things that were really contrary to what we believe in with the Democratic Party and the positions generally that we support. Um, and when we wrote critically about the things that they said, they were in turn very critical of our coverage. My, what I wonder is, is the mainstream media feeling a little bit threatened to lose the direct path to McCain campaign? Because they do have to cover both campaigns, right? And they've seen what happens. You get cut out when you get exactly. critical. Exactly, and this is... Right. The Bush administration has done this very well, too. If if reporters are, are critical of the administration or of the president, then they get their you know special access cut off. 
they move to the bottom of the totem pole. So, you know, this is entirely possible. This is part of what we're seeing, too. I know reporters end up covering one particular campaign. They sort of have a vested interest in it because, you know, if you're covering John McCain during the campaign season and he ends up in the White House, then you're going to be the reporter who's covering the White House. At least from what I understand, that's how it works. And I'm sure we have plenty of journalists who can tell me if I'm being, if I've got that wrong. But <laughs> that seems to me to be a slight problem. But that's that's something that's been going on all along. But um, I think you could be right. And I mean, the first time we were critical, I got the warning. You know, <laughs> yeah. I was accused of breathless partisanship. Yeah. And then um, when Jayless had that article on the front page of the Huffington Post about their email that had gone out, that was it. We got cut off. So, you know, I, I think they're really definitely that, on to the, something there, Julie. We were critical and we lost our access. Exactly. And I, and I think that watching that happen, and, and we would not be the first people that happened to um, in the history of media. I'm not saying specifically with this campaign with John McCain. I'm just saying that has happened. Um, and I also wonder a little bit, um, at some point, I don't think some journalists, are going to be able to stop themselves. There are, you know, I have high esteem for Jake Tapper. I seriously think he's going to eventually get over his McCain man crush, and he's going to begin digging into the actual campaign. What I wonder at that point is when he gets that warning. Nothing is so ugly as a man crush scorned, right? Right. How ugly do you think the media could turn if they feel the candidate has begun threatening or cutting them off or feeding them uh, incorrect information? Well, you know, not being a member of the media, would be, I guess it would be hard for me to say that entirely, but I, I think that's part of what he does, what John McCain does so well and has managed to keep a lot of this criticism away from himself and the media is, you know, establishing personal relationships with reporters and um, with the media in general. He's been around for a long time, so he knows how to play it. You know, if you just cut one person off at a time, then you're not necessarily, you know, I'm just thinking about all of this as a, a schoolyard, you know, recess sort of junior high politics. You know, you've got a group and you cut one of them out, you're not going to have that backlash. But if you cut half of them out, then they're going to form their own group and revolt. So I guess it depends on, on how carefully they do that. That's that's interesting. And you know, I think I think another thing too then is how will his campaign continue to act and react and adjust its strategy um you know with all of this with the polling and with the uh different information coming through in the different coverage. Right now he's writing high, he's writing well, he's getting all the love and then some um Donna, how how strict do you think that uh, the campaigns are going to be um, at their foundation with their current strategy? Or do you think that they are just going to be really dynamic this year? I think they have to be dynamic. Everything has changed. Everything is changing so quickly. So I think that, you know, what we see with Patrick reaching out to the other side and then retracting, I think that all the rules have changed and they are making it up as they go along. I think that's a good point. Social media has made a big difference. There was the big debate on Twitter uh, this weekend. Uh, that's definitely a new thing. Candidates setting up uh, 
Facebook sites. I don't know, probably MySpace. Do either of you know? Are they setting up MySpace sites as well? I don't know. I haven't been on MySpace in, in about six months. So. <laughs> uh, I, I know. Well, listen, we have another caller coming in, Mr. Showtime. Um, he's from the United Kingdom and is an Obama supporter and wants to talk a little bit about the primary. If we'll pull Mr. Showtime in here and, and see what his point or question is. Are you with us, Mr. Showtime? Hey, how are you doing, ladies? Uh, you're going to have to forgive me. I'm not feeling very well today. I'm confined to my bed, and uh, my voice is just absolutely terrible at the moment, so I'm going to apologize for my uh, rusty voice if it gets to that point. Okay, and did you have a question for us or a point to make? Well, I always wanted to make a comment, really. As an outsider, you know, listening to all this, you know, uh, I'm not sure if you heard, but the, most of the Europe of Europe will probably be a lot happier with... Uh, Barack Obama as president, really, uh, compared to either John McCain or Hillary Clinton. Because, uh, you know, a lot of people are saying, you know, Barack Obama ain't got the experience, and uh, basically we're all just uh, sitting there scratching our heads saying, experience in what? You know, where uh, the pro-Israeli lobbies pretty much wrecked the uh, 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 Middle Eastern foreign policy. You know, you've got the NRA uh, promoting guns and uh, turning all the... Uh, blame of violence towards, you know, violent media and video games. So basically, I, I have actually seen news coverage talking and, uh, about... You know, the same it. thing over and over and over again. Uh, or do you want something new? And Barack Obama seems to represent, uh, you know, the change that we all want. And and the change that, that we all want, coming from the perspective of someone who's over in Europe... Europe's looking perhaps to improve their relations um, with the United States. Um, it seems like England, Great Britain, has had a pretty decent deal going on with President Bush. So what what are people in Great Britain looking for as a change? Well, you've got to be careful there because, uh, <laughs> you know, uh, it's good enough the American media is saying, oh, yeah, Tony Blair's all in favor of George Bush and that, and Gordon Brown's all in favor of George Bush and uh, all this BS you hear from Fox News Channel and things like that. If you no, actually we, really we do look on Fox. the ground... <laughs> oh, thank we God. We swear we don't watch uh, Fox. <laughs> yeah, well, believe me, if you uh, listen to the... Uh, there's a group in this country called uh, the Stop the War Coalition, uh, which is headed by Tony Benn, who is a former Labour person himself, kind of like, uh, in the same, pretty much in the same ranks as Tony Blair and Gordon Brown. And uh, he opposed the war outright. You know, there was marches of thousands upon thousands and even millions of people were marching around this country uh, prior to 2003 to stop this war from even happening. And uh, what people didn't know about was, you know, Tony Blair apparently got a lot of praise by the American media and by George Bush for doing this. What people didn't see was the dreaded aftermath. Uh, the 2005 elections, uh, the Liberal Democrats, the third largest party in the United Kingdom, gained uh, seats off the Labour Party because they, of their anti-war stance. So people pretty much uh, took their votes at the election and uh, voted for the party that uh, uh, was against the war outright to start off with. And now uh, the Liberal Democrats are in a very strong position and could possibly force a, something called a hung parliament, which means that uh, there is no uh, force of power. So Gordon Brown could be in very, very, very big trouble come the next election. And uh, the reason for this being is because we want our troops out of Iraq and we don't want to follow America's blind follower of foreign policy anymore. And that's the, re and, you know, that's the reason we all look at Obama as well, because uh, he's the only guy who's actually going to say he's going to pull the troops. And John McCain, uh, quite frankly, doesn't have a uh, clue what he's doing. Quite frankly, he's just uh, a fickle old man 
as far as we go. He says he'll he'll support a hundred years war. Now, this is interesting. If you can hang on for just a second, Mr. Showtime. Donna and Stephanie, I'd like to hear Donna first and then Stephanie. I know one of the issues, not per se one of the top five, but definitely in the top ten, people in the United States are concerned about our relationship uh, with other countries, particularly in Europe, which are historically our allies, or at least, you know, uh, recent history. So how important do you think a European endorsement of Barack Obama will fa- how how important will that be to American voters? Donna, well, how, I don't know how important it'll be to American voters, but uh, if uh, John McCain really wants the the strong foreign relations that he's boasting, you know, uh, John McCain says that he has good relations. He'll have good relations with uh, foreign nations, and he has a strong foreign policy. And he's always going on about Barack Obama having a very weak foreign policy. You know, John McCain's uh, view of the world appears just to be Middle East, and that's it, and America, and no one else matters. And, you know, uh, Barack Obama has made references to uh, all, you know, the so-called allies in in NATO and places like that. And John McCain pretty much just says, uh, uh, Barack Obama's too soft on Iran, so, you know, his foreign policy is rubbish. And, well, you know, unfortunately, uh, only American voters are going to be able to vote for this. So yeah, even though it's nice to know that in France they love Obama and in Britain they love Obama, you know, it's going to come down to what the American voter thinks. And frankly, most Americans don't care what Europe thinks, in my opinion. Well, that's, that's now, a very I'm not talking for myself. I'm not talking about myself. My husband's in Cardiff right now. And um, I, I talk a lot. I've got a brother-in-law who um brother-in-law whose brother-in-law is very very active in the labor party and so um we do have these conversations a lot but most of the america i mean this is the country that got mad at france and renamed their snack food freedom fries you know oh, it's, it's, oh the, the embarrassment the embarrassment yeah it's just silly <laughs> but you know we're a big country we're yeah. a big country we're traditionally isolationist and most of us have never been outside this country. It's not like Europe where you've got lots of smaller countries all close to one another and you can't help but know what each other is doing. Here, just covering what's happening in this country takes up almost the entire paper. That's the issue that I think America now has to uh, address with itself. You know, Is it going to remain isolated forever or is it going to one day... Uh, going to actually uh, sit up and you know have some grown-up conversations with uh, uh, all the countries uh, around it, or is it just going to focus on itself? I'm not sure if you've noticed what's going on here in Europe. They're trying to form uh, the, something called the European Union, which is a union of all the countries, and pretty much uh, in the critics' view, they're trying to create this huge superstate of all these uh, countries that will actually try and compete with the likes of China and America and all these other big uh, countries that are, you know, are benef- benef- benefiting from the uh, economic powerhouses. Yeah, Mr. Sotheim, I'm going to say thank you very much for calling. I'm going to briefly put you on mute because I do definitely want to hear um, from, from Donna and Stephanie to address some of the excellent points that you've brought up. We have heard of the European Union over here. I am proud to say we are educated on that. Um, <laughs> So if you'll if you'll um w- would you prefer to sit and wait or would you prefer for me to um cut the line for you? Um 
I tell you what, let's do this. I'll allow the other people to speak, and I'll just uh, sign off here. I just want to say, I just want to, uh, I'm really happy that there's actually another. Uh, uh, radio show out there that's supporting the Democrats, and uh, you know, I, I, since I've been here on Blog Talk Radio, it's just been uh, the Republican Party and how great John McCain is, and how George Bush is uh, apparently a sane human being who doesn't like war, which I kind of find very hard to believe. So I'm very glad that there's a radio show out here that's competing with us. Oh, and we're so glad you called in. You've, you've brought up some excellent issues and some really good points, and, and we look forward to carrying those on. So, And we look forward to it. Come by our blog, mamacrats.com, and uh, definitely come back next week. We're here every Sunday. So, Okay, thank, thank you very so much. much. And, and get well soon. Thank you. So the interesting thing, Donna and Stephanie, is that one thing we definitely want to try to uh, get to um, in some degree of depth today is turning the battleground states from red to blue. And, and one thing that, that I wanted to focus on were tipping point issues. Uh, I noticed, for example, this week um, that Suzanne Reisman and Catherine Morgan both were covering the pro-choice stance of the Republican Party, and John McCain in particular. Suzanne Reisman actually quoted in her blogger article um, Arianna Huffington's statistics um, 50% of women in battleground states have no idea that McCain, what, what McCain believes about women's uh, reproductive health issues. Um, 49% of women in battleground states who currently favor John McCain are pro-choice, and 23% think that McCain is pro-choice. Um, that is just a rampant misperception because that's not even one of McCain's flip-flop issues from 2000 to today. He has actually been traditionally traditional um, in the Republican sense of the word on this issue. He has actually been, from the get-go, um, always voting um, in favor of anything that restricts or undermines Roe v. Wade, and he's very open in saying he does live to get it overturned. So the other thing that, that Arianna Huffington said is that 36% of pro-choice McCain supporters are less likely to vote for him after learning that he opposes Roe v. Wade and is actually not pro-choice. That's an enormous number of people. That could be a tipping point number of people. So what I'm wondering is... Um, the, you know, we do have an issue of the war, um, which Mr. Showtime brought up. That is one of the top issues for people. Economy is one of the top issues. Right now, everybody's talking about gas prices, and when they talk about gas prices and oil prices, everybody thinks of cars, but cars aren't even the largest consumer. Do you know um, what, in your opinion, is a tipping point issue? Or do you think it's really more like a domino, that we need a, a variety of them? Um, I think that there are so many issues that you do need the variety of them. I think that it's always going to be the economy stupid with the average voter. So the gas issue is going to be huge, as well as all of our other energy needs. But um, I do believe that... Um, the uh, Roe v. Wade, the women's choice issue, is a good one for the women. And I am shocked that after all these years, like I said, even my friends that I had dinner with the other night had no idea that he was, you know, so consistently anti-choice. So somehow we have to get the word out. 
Steph, I want to pick up that point in just a minute, but I want to hear from Stephanie. Do you think that there is a single issue that could be the tipping point uh, that just puts the poll so strongly in Obama's favor um, that it's really clear where the election is leading? Or do you think, uh, like Donna does, that there needs to be a variety of them? I think it's a variety, unless we see something drastic happen. If, if something horrendous happens with the economy, you know, another huge accounting scandal or something of that nature, or um, something happens in Iraq or, or somewhere in the Middle East that's catastrophic, then perhaps that would become one single issue. But I think right now it's just a combination of everything. Um, everything's sort of adding up together, which is pushing more people towards the Democrats. <clears throat> yeah, in eight years the whole country's gone to hell. <laughs> well, yeah, there's that. <laughs> Except we've got people like Donna's friends um, who have a misunderstanding about McCain's platform. Now, his platform's really clear. If you take five minutes to go to his website, it's actually organized very well. It's very clearly structured. You've got, you know, a clear tab for issues. You drop it down. You can see them broken down. You can go and read um, very short, very readable, readable articles, you know, what his positions on the issues are. Um, including, as Mr. Showtime brought up, the, uh, you know, foreign policy and, uh, you know, what he wants to see with regard to our diplomatic relations with other countries, um, as well as his position on the war, his position on um, what he wants to do with education, um, his stance on reproductive health issues. How can, who, who, is, who is responsible for educating the voters? Where does that responsibility lie? Um, I think we're all responsible. You know, maybe we've gotten too used to being kind of sort of spoon-fed by the media. You know, you turn on CNN and you can watch the blurbs at the bottom and you know what's going on in the world. Or so we tell ourselves. But, um, you know, maybe this sounds like I think we're more important than we are. (laughs) But I think that bloggers are are doing a, a service to people here by filling in the gaps that they're not getting from the mainstream media because let's face it, most people are not going to go to johnmccain.com or johnmccain2008.com and look up their position policies. They're just not going to do it. But if they happen to, in, in another context, read about it, then you know we can inform them. So we can entertain and inform, or we can and just I- send them to womenforjohnmccain.com. <laughs> <laughs> Another, oh, I love that. Another fun thing we found this this past week, the womenforjohnmccain.com, a really hilarious, um, ironic and facetious uh, site that really. But seriously, you know if you if you want to know about John McCain's stance on Roe v. Wade and all that, go to uh, womenforjohnmccain.com and click on the choice button. It's great. <laughs> yeah. I'd like to how, add to what Steph said in yeah. that, um, as bloggers, you know, even if the people that we're trying to reach aren't blog readers. The issues that we bring up and that we drill in eventually get picked up by mainstream media. media. And so that way it does permeate too. The old Downing Street deal, that's, that's, a, good, that's a good point. We can, we can guide the discussion. So in a way, we do have the ability to reach people what I'm curious about is how to take this information that we discuss and read online and bring it into our everyday conversations because I know, for example, if I'm just to say the play group that I participate in here in my neighborhood, um, I, I can count out of six women, two who just really don't ever go on the Internet, not even for email. 
Um, one of them asked me, I don't understand what this is that you do. What is this blog thing? Didn't even know. Mm-hmm. So how can how can we reach out to these people? Because obviously we're all cultured to understand you just don't bring up politics, that it's just tacky and rude. How can we get over that hump? How, oh, how do you feel comfortable, Donna, bringing it up with your friends over the dinner table, no less? Well, those particular friends are ones that I knew were compatible with me politically, and we have often talked politics, and they knew that I was working with you guys. And it came up because they said, do you want to do this on Sunday? And I said, oh, no, I can't. I've got a podcast to do. Yeah. And that's when we segued into all of this uh all of the talk about the election that just happened. But um, some of the other conversations came up just talking about the cost of gas. And can you believe what John McCain is talking about? That's just crazy. And, you know, if the issues that affect people, that's going to come up in conversation anyway, and that's when you can kind of veer it into your veer the politics into it. I think that's a good point. You're right. I think people are feeling more pressure right now in a variety of ways, a lot more anxiety definitely, and I think they are talking more openly about issues. Um, Obviously, in my neck of the woods, there's absolutely no way to go a single day without NASA or oil and gas industry coming up in conversation just because literally my neighborhood is ringed by those two industries, Um, and everybody here is absolutely – um, beholden to them, um, you know, I'll, I'll be honest, the, the oil and gas industry funded um, some playground equipment for a park for the kids. It's it's very little compensation from my point of view for the asthma they're bringing to our children um, with their pollution, but nevertheless, it, it's definitely something. Um, I was at a fundraiser on Thursday night for a lady named Sherry Matula, who's a local candidate running for the State House of Representatives here. She's a former teacher. Um, she's definitely a Democrat who is just doing her best to improve education. Um, that's her field right now. That's what she works on. She goes in the schools and she raises them up, um, improves their science curriculum, um, and helps get their programs into better shape. But she has a variety of um, other positions on other issues, obviously. She's a well-rounded candidate. She made the point when it came up in questions that we do have to be here in Texas, especially in this part of Texas, very, very careful how we talk about energy and oil and gas. We are just not as free to talk about these issues, perhaps maybe as you are in California, Donna, or as you are in D.C., Stephanie, do you have any issues that are restricted like that where your media just doesn't even cover them in any kind of critical way and the conversation uh, is really? We we have some uh, the, uh, maybe a similar situation here in, in southeast Virginia um, because you have to remember that even though you know I'm associated with D.C. Metro Moms and all of that, I don't actually live in D.C. I live about three hours south of, of D.C. in the southeast corner of Virginia, almost on the North Carolina border. And the Hampton Roads area of Virginia, where I live, our economy is extremely dependent on the military. I can't even count the number of bases we have around here. I mean, you can't swing a dead cat without hitting somebody in the Navy around here. So there's, you know, there's, there's one really big issue, and that's you know, the war in Iraq. 
Um, not only do we have all these people who you know, are military families who tend to be more conservative, um, even though you'd think that on this particular issue they would have a different view. That's not exactly the case. But you also have a number of government contractors. And, you know, I'll admit it, our, our lifestyle is completely dependent on the military in, in some way. My husband works for a government contractor, and uh, I'm a government contracts attorney. So that's that's kind of the third rail around here is, is how you talk about the military industry. But it really hasn't kept our media, I think, from discussing the Iraq war in a in a critical way. I mean, obviously, our paper is a little more conservative than the Washington Post, but, you know, it does come up, and, it, and, it's, and it's something that touches too many people's lives on a daily basis, and maybe in a more direct way than, say, energy and gas. I mean, yeah, you're paying a lot at the pumps, but, you know, the industry itself is not sending people off to be killed. I mean, that's being done more directly by the military. So... <clears throat> It's you kind of a, a back and forth. Vote? It's a very careful balancing act in this in this area. Do you think that people will vote? Uh, I mean, could that be an issue that will influence or swing their vote one direction or the other? Well, in this area, yes. I think that a lot of people will vote basically just on um, foreign policy or the war in Iraq as far as McCain and Obama go. And that's not to say that there aren't people in the military who are opposed to the Iraq war. I know many who are, but um, they can't necessarily be as open or as vocal about it, particularly if they're still active duty. (laughs) That's a very touchy area. Um, But, yeah, I think that there are are a lot of people, and I know a lot of people who will vote simply on that one issue. But once you get out of the Hampton Roads area, I don't think that you see as much of that. I mean, Virginia is, is... traditionally, at least in the last, you know, 50 or 60 years, a very red state unless you're right up near Washington, D.C. But, you know, voters in the middle of Virginia are not as concerned about the Iraq war, or I should say their the effect on their economy uh, the Iraq war is having as people in this particular area are. So I think what I... I What's interesting to hear, you're talking, you know, from the point of view of a battleground state, as am I. We're both living in areas that have a single issue that could be a swing, um, a swing vote issue. Um, really quickly, Donna, coming from a blue state, what do you think the Democrats can do to reach out to these red voters um, and get to know what their swing issue is and possibly bring them into the fold? You mean red voters in other states or red yeah, voters right. in yeah, California? Just, you know, your general opinion. I mean, you're in a blue state. Um, is there a single issue there that really influences people? And if so, how have the Democrats reached to the California voters, and is that applicable to battleground states like Virginia and the possible we, – we, Texas is labeled a watch state. We might become a <laughs> battleground state. <laughs> well – you know, I can't think of a single issue. I think it depends on, you know, every every geographic area seems to have one. Actually, California does tend to, blo- to vote blue. We are more blue than red, but we're blue on the coast, and we're totally red in the interior and in the east where it's all rural. And our red congresspeople seem to be even more radical than usual. We've got the Dana Rohrabachers and the John Doolittles who uh, 
get elected to Congress from the red parts of our state. Um, and those are the same kinds of issues that traditionally have appealed in other red parts of the state. It's very religious. You know, they want prayer in school. It's anti-choice. It's, you know, low taxes. In California, probably low taxes. That will get people to swing over. Yeah. We have another caller, ladies. Um, If you don't mind hanging on for just a second, we've got Sister Girl Talks calling in. We'll bring her up. Hello, are you there with us? Hi, how are you? Just fine. Thanks for calling in. What's your question or statement? Well, first of all, I want to tell you that I really i am enjoying the show and enjoying the conversation. I was um, wanting to address what you all were talking about as far as how to address those voters. The okay, first, that's fantastic. The first thing that I wanted to say is I'm not sure if you all mentioned it before, but next week on Saturday the 28th is Unity Day in the Obama campaign. And the goal of that campaign is um, to get um, some of the independent voters, the Hillary Clinton supporters, um, and other people um, on board with the Obama campaign. So all over the country, people are having barbecues, wine and cheese. I'm devoting my radio show to um, educating people on Barack Obama. And And I really think that that's a good way to start. And people can go online and on the Barack Obama, put your zip code in and find events about what's going on in your neighborhood, and you can even host an event yourself. That's, um, the that's other thing, a really good idea because okay. for those of us who, you know, I'm I'm a liberal Democrat sitting in a red mm-hmm. zone, um, mm-hmm. it was actually an enormous surprise to me when we did our primary caucus to see other Democrats because literally these are people I talk to almost every day and I had no idea. And and everybody everybody laughs about that. And I would say the primary comment was, oh, "You? I had no clue." And that I, just how many times there were gasps and things like that at the caucus. But you know, so it can be very uncomfortable to broach discussion about issues and discussion about politics and the election and the candidates. Um, I know some people who really don't even care what the Democrats have to offer. They will just vote Republican and they will not even listen. Um, so your idea um, to suggest to people that they go to the party or the candidate websites and put their zip code in and get information or put their email in and get information, that's that's brilliant. Then you're not the one preaching, but you're suggesting exactly. them to go get educated. I love that. And there are Obama thing. fellows um, and there are people who have dedicated themselves to the campaign, and they can come to your events. Uh, talk at your events about the Obama campaign. They'll do it for free and um, provide literature and information. So I would suggest to your callers to do that. The the second thing I will say is Mr. Obama is going to really have to go to those states that he feels are the the red states, and I think he's already started advertising in 16 states. Um, Some of them are battleground states, and really tell his story. When you tell your story to people and they can relate to your story, you have to meet people where they are. And when people relate to you, they will be able to trust you and vote for you 
Whatever Mr. Obama has gone into, whatever state he has gone into, with the exception of Ohio, his numbers have dramatically changed. We saw it in Texas and we saw it in Philadelphia. I wish he had gone into Kentucky and West Virginia more, and I think he wouldn't have lost as big. And so he's going to have to go into those states, meet people where they are, and talk about their issues. I think, I think you're right, and I, I actually he has scratched. Texas is not on his list, and I think that's an enormous error. I understand, and, and people say to me, "You're biased because you're sitting in Texas and you're Democrat, <laughs> and you want." And I understand that. So you know, with a caveat that I understand and admit my bias, um, and I also recognize there are 49 other states. Um, I think, though, you know what we have to keep in mind is that. Hillary Clinton did get the popular vote in this state. And although Obama won the delegates because more of us came to the caucus, at the end of the day, what the party does is at large and alternate to get the delegate numbers to more accurately reflect the populist vote. Um, so a lot of people are afraid that the delegates sit there and, like, override their vote, and that's not true. We came in representative numbers of the populist vote. And there are a lot of Clinton supporters in Texas, and I'm worried where they're going to put their vote because I think a lot of them are independent. I think they are potential swing voters. And if uh, Senator Obama took one day out of his campaign, and I realize that's asking a lot, to come down to Texas, it might really bring those people into the fold. I think he will, and I think this is a long campaign. It's a long time till, um, till November, and uh, we have to help him, and I, I think we can do this. I think Absolutely. that it is possible, and although I think Al Gore did win the 2000 election, remember Al Gore did lose his home state, so anything yeah. is possible. Absolutely. Well, I want to tell you, you all. thank you so much for calling in. Um, thank you. And like I said, mamacrats.com, um, come visit us anytime, and we'll be here next Sunday, too. Okay, and my show you. is on at Saturdays at 10 a.m. Oh, thank you very Eastern much. Saturdays at 10, great. Have a great Thank you day. very much. Thanks so much. Stephanie, what was that again? Uh, we've got about, her change. Was that, that her okay. name again? Uh, sis, that was Sister, Sister Girl Talks. Okay, great. And, I want to um, make sure that I don't miss that. Yes, yeah. that that's great to know. I I'm, I appreciate these callers so much. They've added so, so much to the conversation. Stephanie, we've got about five minutes, and I want to, um, Donna, if you don't mind, give Stephanie a little bit of time to talk to us. Uh, you went to the Virginia Convention, and I'm really interested to hear your, you know, what stories you're bringing back from that. Oh, well, maybe something more substantive than 14-year-olds looking down my shirt. <laughs> <laughs> Well, yeah, you know, the energy, um, what you heard people saying, um, how you feel like the unifying uh, goal is going, that kind of thing, sure. Well, it was great, actually, you know, kind of like how you experienced at the caucuses. Actually, being around that many Democrats in this part of Virginia was a little overwhelming for me at first. I almost cried, but, you know, (laughs) then I I pulled myself together, and it, it was about half and half. I had two reactions. At first, I was just overwhelmed by all of the support for Democrats and how friendly everyone was. And there were a couple of Republicans there, Julie. You you, you definitely called that. But for the most part, it was, you know, friendly Democratic blue. So that was nice. And there was a lot of um, pulling together. Everybody stayed on message. 
um, which maybe makes for not as exciting news, but um, it was good to, to hear everybody pulling up for, for the same issues on the same message and trying to pull the party together. And I think that all of the speakers did a great job of that. Um, I saw a lot of enthusiasm in the crowd, and when I talked to people, both in the campaign and out, they were very excited. And here in Virginia, we actually have congressional candidates running in all 11 districts, and that nobody can remember, nobody can figure out when the last time was that happened. Because and this is such got a red one state. of the top 12 Senate races in the U.S., right? Yes, exactly. And, well, and we've got Warner. Right, we've got two former governors battling it out, um, Mark Warner and former Governor Gilmore battling it out for a Senate seat. And it's it's going to be interesting. Personally, I think that uh, it looks like Warner's going to kill Gilmore, but you know my personal opinions there. But uh, what are the but, polls showing right now? Have the you seen the polls are showing Warner ahead, and he's already they've already sort of gotten into the nitty gritty. I think Gilmore sort of sort of let off the first salvo a couple of weeks ago. He started making the the radio circuit and the uh, interview circuit in the area. So now Warner is fighting back, and Gilmore left a lot of financial problems in Virginia when he left. So he's going to have an uphill battle in that particular election. And I don't even think that the polls right now are necessarily reflecting where it will be. I think that Warner's going to win by a wider margin than the polls are showing right now. But I just think enough people aren't really paying attention to that race quite yet. So and it is only July. I find that the convention infused both the candidates, their campaigns, and the voters with um, – I'm trying to think how to explain this. Going to the convention, like you said, it was it was awesome, and and I realize that sounds very Valley Girl to say, but I do mean seriously, it was awe inspiring. But it was inspiring beyond just awe. It, it really got me enthusiastic, and it increased my level of participation. Do you do you did you see that also at the Virginia? Oh yes, and it definitely happened to me too. I mean, I've I've given a lot more money, and I've been making contacts with more campaigns. And, oh, I just went and looked up the uh, Unity events in my area, and there are quite a few, so that should be interesting. I'll have to check that out. But um, I also saw something else at the convention, which I've kind of hinted about in some of the stuff that I've written for Momocrats, but it was a little disturbing to me, and that was the people who aren't quite there yet, the people who aren't quite with Obama yet. There were some times when, um, you know, Senator Webb was speaking and he would he would talk about Obama or, or um, Governor Kane was speaking about Obama on a very personal level. And many in the crowd would, you know, get up and start screaming, you know, yes, we can, yes, we can. And, of course, there's a lot of, yay, yay, go Democrats. But there were some people who were not standing up, who were not cheering. And um, one of the it reporters. Was kind of that, passive, it was a passive protest. There wasn't booing. Yes, it was a it was a passive protest. And when you actually talk to people who were doing this, and I managed to get one or two of them to talk to me, they were Hillary supporters who just were not on board with Obama yet. Um, one of the reporters for the Washington Post, who was um, I had been talking to during the convention, actually spoke with um, John Grisham there and he and his wife are Hillary supporters. One, let me just ask you, I'm sorry Stephanie to interrupt. Go we ahead. have one minute remaining. What I want to do is a quick um, wrap up and sign off here. We will continue talking. I want to thank our listeners. I want to thank our callers. 
what a wonderful conversation we've had today. Um, I've really enjoyed this. I want to remind everybody that they can come to mamacrats.com at any time. Uh, we're also right now fundraising ourselves uh, to get to Denver for the national convention. We'll be doing a lot of exciting coverage there. Um, again, this is Julie Piper, and I want to thank Stephanie and Donna for coming in and adding in their wonderful opinions. Also, thanks for listening, thanks for calling, and we'll see you at mamacrats.com. Now we're going to continue talking. You won't be able to hear us when we go off the air, but you will be able to come and re, uh, listen to the archive uh, and hear the remainder of the conversation. So, Stephanie, I'll let you tell the John Grisham. We have about five seconds before we go off the air, and I'm, I'm intrigued to hear this, and I hope that our listeners will come back. Okay, go ahead. We're off well, the air you now. know, I had I'd heard that he was at the convention, and, and I was trying to stalk him, but I couldn't spot him in the crowd. But <laughs> Um, one of the reporters from the Washington Post was lucky enough to find him and his wife, and they are Hillary Clinton supporters. And when I read the the bit that she got from them, they basically they wouldn't pan Obama, but they just said, kept insisting, we are Hillary supporters. And there were a lot of people at the convention who were like that. I mean, I, I wrote about the Hillary supporters who wouldn't speak to me because I was wearing a press badge. Yeah. But that doesn't disturb me as much as people who were – actively or I guess I should say passively not you know they were very reticent to get into the whole unity and excitement that was going on at the convention and that disturbed me a little bit I'm hoping that that's that's going to end do you think that it was kind of feeding off the group I'm sorry what was that do you think it was feeding a little bit off the group that everybody was together and that maybe once they go home separately and they think about it individually I'm hoping so and I think maybe it might have been too close to when Hillary suspended her campaign because you know the the convention was one of the first right afterwards so you know maybe they just need some time to adjust I'm hoping that's what it is That's I I I think it's interesting um the passive, I have to say, I'm a little bit heartened that it was passive protesting, just sitting yes, down. Yes, there was no not, booing or anything like that. That, that to me, is heartening. I mean, do you, do you think it's reasonable to take it that way, or is that the sense you got as well? Yeah, yeah, that, that really was the sense that I got. But then, too, we're also in the South where people are terribly polite. So, you know, instead of insulting someone, they'll say, bless his heart. <laughs> so yeah, it's hard I, I know to know. But you know what? I'm in Texas, which is extremely southern in so many ways down here in southeast Texas, um, but also very western. And I have to say, people do not necessarily hold back. Um, and we, we didn't have big, big, loud booing or protests. Um, the only people who were noisy were the Republicans. But uh, they <laughs> had Republicans <laughs> booing at the convention. <laughs> There, there was a small marching protest with some. They're awfully brave. They were way outnumbered. <laughs> they they mostly kept across the street. It was, um, it, you know, I mean, in a way, a little bit admirable, you know. They've got the courage of their conviction, I suppose. But, uh, yeah, you know, there were some, and they were wearing T-shirts, so they were obvious. They they were in the convention center. Um, I think they were just testing to see how true it was that citizens were welcome at the convention. (laughs) And I think they were just testing to see if all citizens were welcome or only Democrats. And I think they were just trying to 
push the boundary and see if yeah, anybody Yeah, they were hoping they'd get kicked out. I know, and and, and <laughs> create something. They just ignored it. But um, well, Donna, did you have any questions for Stephanie about about the convention, or did you have anything else that we didn't get to with you? I just want to tell Stephanie how much I loved all of her posts on the convention. Yeah. But then she outdid herself on her letter to Patrick. I that was great. That was absolutely <laughs> classic, Stephanie. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> well, I, I don't. I don't know about you, ladies. Too. This is totally off topic, so I apologize. But no, go ahead. We wrapped up all my it. points, so feel yes. free. No, I, sometimes it's a little awkward for me trying to find my voice on Mama Kratz just because it's so different from what I normally write on my personal site. And so when I can actually combine the two, that's when I'm happiest. So. Well, it makes a memorable post. I love, you know, that's the one that everybody, it was entertaining and it made a point. Absolutely. Well, I, I, I like the fact that you put the breathless partisanship in. Because <laughs> I, I think what... Um, what astounded me were the actual emails from Patrick because that's in writing, and although it was directed to one person, whenever you write an email, you know that not just one person's going to see it. Oh yeah, and so oh, especially with our group because he knows, you know how yeah. we are. We yeah. share and share alike. So, and, yeah. and it has been clear, I think to him that we have shared information among the group, uh, everybody in the group. So I just, I was a little bit surprised, the tone and the things he said. It was it was just incredible to me. And it just made me wonder, well, what's the strategy here? You know, why, why invite a group of Democrats in and then act shocked that they have critically uh, discussed your positions? So, yeah, the I love that, the breathless pipe partisanship. That was just... That. Well, it, it was nice that his anger was so poetic. <laughs> <laughs> it was. He was actually very articulate. <laughs> it was. He's quite the entertaining writer. You know, it's too bad he's a Republican. But, yeah. you know, he's a blogger as well, too. And I wonder if that has something to do with it. But It probably he, does. And I, he told me that his mother-in-law is a Democratic representative um, Democratic delegate in New Hampshire. So that's right. He's used that's to sparring right. with Democrats. That's mm. right. Because, Donna, were you the one that had written to him and said, you know, please understand we're Democrats or something like that, and that was his response, I'm fine with Democrats? Or? Yeah, because, Donna, yeah. You, were, you covered the first one, right? I covered the first one. Liz got the original email, and I was the one who was available to come to the first one. And then... Um, after you guys went to the second one, he stopped emailing me. So I guess, you know, he lost interest in me long before he dumped you. So I don't know. <laughs> well, the one thing that was really interesting about getting those emails is, and, and this is very disturbing to me too about how the mainstream media works, we'd get one of those emails, and then the next day or two days later, you'd see an article about that in the Washington Post or the New York Times. And, you know, they would obviously do their own reporting, but you could see – where the idea for the article came from, because you've just gotten that email from Patrick Hines. Right. And so that was really disturbing to me to see how the campaigns can actually drive the news cycle. I mean, I know in theory that it happens, but to actually see it happen was something else entirely. Well, just to feed that direct angle, you, you're getting an email from a campaign. You right off the bat have to say, all right, what's up with this? 
Mm-hmm. And it's I know what you're saying, and actually I'm I'm still I'm not through. Thank goodness we changed the topic today. I'm not through with Right Is Wrong, Arianna Huffington's book that we're reading um, for Joanne's book club on the 13th of July. Um, I'm not quite through it yet, but she has been making the point that there have been just too many cases, you know, recently of reporters direct streaming the propaganda from the campaigns. Yeah. And that goes back, Donna, to what you were talking about with the accountability, which was in yeah. Aaron's post. I, I just, I, I wonder, is the do you guys think the worm is going to turn? Is there going to be enough criticism and backlash that the media is going to change that? Gosh, I wish there would be, but I don't think there will be. You know, I think that people are so inundated with information these days. Nobody knows where to turn. I mean, life is complicated. We have to keep track of so much. And then the elect, there is so much information that you can't filter it. You know, it just becomes white noise. And I think that's the problem. It's getting people's attention with the information that they need. I don't think they're disinterested or lazy, as some of the people in the chat room were accusing them of being. I just think it's hard. Yeah, well, I think you know, you're right, and I think the the stuff that they hear is maybe more sensationalistic than, or not related to issues like we'd like yeah. it to be. The stuff that gets through yeah. is the stuff like you know Reverend Wright and and yeah. things like that. That's uh, what gets their attention. And my friend, again, going back to my friends I had dinner with the other night, they uh, you know their reasons for disliking Obama were he didn't wait his turn, he didn't have experience, he had he made bad choices in his advisors, meaning Reverend Wright, mm-hmm. and they didn't like Michelle because they thought she was arrogant. Now, both of my friends are attorneys. The woman I was eating with is a VP at a movie studio, and you know, I'm sure that she and Michelle, if they met in person, would be friends. Mm-hmm. But this this perception that they're getting filtered through the media is it comes off as arrogant. So you know, while I was more inclined to agree with Stefania's post this week about how Michelle doesn't need softening, maybe for a certain demographic she does. What demographic? I don't know. Do think, what demographic do you think it is that? Because older, honestly, older concerned. traditional people. Yeah, yeah. People people maybe um Gen X and Gen Y might be fine with it. Um I think my generation is a little bit on the questionable side. I, I something my mother and I were talking about is that my generation straddles um to mindsets, which mm-hmm. is why we sometimes seem wishy washy. Mm-hmm. But it's also the the source of, for example, the mommy wars because yeah. I was raised with two completely, um, now in my adulthood I find out, two completely um, contradictory mindsets, and that was you can be anything you want, um, which came along with it the price tag of you are obligated to be more than a traditional at-home mother woman. Mm -hmm. And simultaneous with that is the whole thing of how how, how do you raise your kids you know, how do you individually, you know, what works for you, what works for your family, um, what are your personal morals and values. And, you know, my parents definitely committed to it was better to have 
a parent dedicated to raising the kids. Now, my husband and I traded off. In Massachusetts, he was at home with, the, with my daughter. But here in Texas, I'm at home. And while that's not directly related to politics, I think basically the underlying thing is my generation really is, we're really on the fence. And, and I think it's, it's easy to pay lip service to saying, I don't need Michelle Obama to be soft and I don't need her to be any particular way. At the same time, we're not emotionally completely comfortable with the strong, yeah. the strong woman um, because that wasn't the model we were raised with. And so I wonder, you know, I wonder how um, there are actually some total, if the campaigns were to be strategic, I think they would worry more about what the perception is with Gen X and Gen Y because Gen X actually um, outvotes the boomers at this point with the Gen Y voters as well um, when you look at sheer numbers. And um, I think that how, how in the world it's easy to say, okay, we're appealing to boomer voters, we need to soften her image. But how in the world do you set the image of a woman who's trying to appeal to a mindset of one kind and an emotional reaction of another kind? I mean, what a what a rock and hard place, you know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. It, it, it really I mean, is. they tried to do it with Hillary, and it never worked, it never took. It, you can never really make her what she's not. That's, that's right. the problem, and I don't think anybody's learned that lesson yet. I mean, she is what she is, a strong, accomplished woman. She's also a great yeah. mom. I don't think there's anything mutually exclusive about that, but it is such an emotional issue. So, yeah. I mean, I've lost friends over it, so, I, I, you know, I can understand that. But we need to keep, we need to keep, we need to quit feeding into it also um, because there is, I think, an overemphasis in the media to deconstruct women in how they appear as women. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and if we can if we can stop that incessant deconstruction, it's going to stop feeding into the perception that that needs to be an issue. Or am yeah. I? Well, there we're, there we're going back to very deeply set social mores and, and things that we're going to have to change gradually, and even in the way we raise our children. Yeah, so. absolutely, absolutely, and that's been a big thing. Well. Um, we, we've got an extra kind of 15 minutes on here, so um, do you guys want to add anything, or is there anything else to cover, or should we sign off and hang up? Hmm. What have we not covered? I think we, we've hit most of the major stuff this week, haven't we? I, 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 think, I think the only thing was you had on your rundown the Scott McClellan call for uh, Valerie Plains. Uh, let's see, what, how did you put it on here? Well, what's going on right now, um, I, I know that, that uh, Jaleth is going to cover it on the website, but basically it sounds like he's been called um, to testify or provide some sort of testimony on the Valerie Plain issue. And uh, from what I – Jaleth's comment, I'll, I'll just quote her because that was a pretty good rundown from the very little I've gotten to see, um, that – they're just trying to get to the bottom of assertions, and the Republicans are very quickly saying, you know, this is not what people are going to think, that this is not impeachment or, you know, charges or anything like that. It's just information gathering. So mm-hmm. I think she's going to do some coverage on on the site uh, in the next Well, I know that he was he – was he was on the Hill last week, too. Maybe it was Thursday or Friday, because I do remember hearing about that. But is it still going on? Are they doing some something more extensive now? 
Um, to tell the truth, I went over to um, CNN Politics to see. Um, I went to their headline news, their front page, um, and I and I didn't I didn't see any big jumping out headlines when I when I went over because what I was looking for was just some sort of uh, I don't I don't know something I, it gave me the information I needed. Instead, right now, um, you know, looking at the CNN headlines, we've got you know, of course, Amy Winehouse's damaged lungs. Um, that's deeply affecting to me, um, and uh, the flooding in the Midwest. Should I vaccinate my baby? The future first lady, but I don't really see anything um, about Scott McClellan right on the on the front page. Mm-hmm. But thank goodness we know um, Amy Winehouse's health condition. <laughs> And I, that's good to know. You know, Britney Spears yeah. has really created sort of a media vacuum by disappearing, you know. <laughs> Let's see if we can keep her out of sight until after November. That's, I don't know. That could be hard, but, you know. Oh, oh, also apparently Charlie Sheen left a really mean voicemail for his ex-wife, Denise. <laughs> has anybody watched her reality show? I haven't, but. No. I have not. You know, I, I, have, um, I have my own vices, um, but really, I just, I'm a total devotee of, so you think you can dance. (laughs) And and there's that high school reunion show. (laughs) Oh, thank goodness, that one's all done with. So I I can move back, I can move back on to the other more important things. Um, I keep waiting for, uh, what is it, what is the, um, I can't get it right now, it's the show about the guy who is the spy and he's dumped in my burn notice. Uh, that's coming up, um, and Army Wives has kicked back in, but I don't know what I was thinking <laughs> last summer. That show really is not Mad Men. Good. When Mad Men starts up again, that will be good. What is it? Mad Men on AMC. I don't, what is, oh, I don't, I don't know that, that one. Something to oh, it's, it's worth watching just for the 1960s art design. Really? I is mean, anybody watching that Swing Town or whatever it is, the 70s show? You know, no, I, I you know, it, I watched something that wasn't on CNN, C-SPAN, or, you know, oh, I watched Masterpiece Theater occasionally. I've I've turned into my mother. I, you know what? I have it set on TiVo. I recorded Cranford the whole thing. <laughs> <laughs> well, I had it set up to watch that whole um, collected Jane Austen. The Jane Austen. Those were good. Those right, were good. And so, yeah. So I've been watching some of those since then. But blogging takes up far too much of my time. Yeah, taking up a bigger quantity right now just because I can't go, I don't think, one full hour without thinking, oh, my gosh, I've got to blog that. I, I think people on my personal blog are like, where did Julie go? <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm having the same issue, too. You know, I'll post, you know, five days in a row, and then I disappear for three weeks. And, <laughs> well, you kind of uh, have to after that kind of burst of energy. Yes, and then I start getting emails from people. Um, are are, are you still alive? <laughs> yeah. What happened to you? Where'd you go? Well, you know, and then and then things like last week happened where I completely missed the hump day hum, and I'm like, oh no, it, it's Thursday. I missed it. And, and I, <laughs> <laughs> I know this week things happen so quickly. It's like by the time you get your your mind in gear, everything has shifted again, and it's too late. You know, you I, missed that news cycle. I and, know. It's like the hyper yeah, world. It's the hyper world. See, yeah. ladies, this is fun. And we've segued into just having a conversation. And 
when we're at the convention, we're going to have to make ourselves go to bed every night so that we don't sit up until 2 o'clock in the morning just talking. You know what? That yes, because my convention was a, at the Democratic, at uh, the you know state convention. You're, I know you're talking about blogger, but um, I, I got no sleep for like three days. I came home and I just crashed. I think I went down for about four and a half hours. I was just that tired, and then I went to bed early that night. It's like jet lag. Yeah, it really yeah. kind of it kind of was. But then, and and I'm not trying to rub this in stuff, but we did have um, we did have a lot of parties. Oh, well, there was a party the night before, actually, that I did not go to because um, my husband wanted to go to a baseball game for his birthday. So we did that. But there was a party the night before, and I understand that there were a lot of drunk reporters. (sighs) That could have been interesting. The camera comes in handy. Yeah, Yeah. but not not so many bloggers there, so. Oh, well, see, we have that whole... I mean, we, we're organized here in Texas, and it's incredible. I mean, we've got the Texas Progressive Bloggers Alliance. I mean, what? I don't even know if another state has an alliance. Not that I know of. I, you know, no. I'm all over. I'm constantly looking for organizations related to the Virginia bloggers, and there really aren't any. And maybe yeah, part of it was that a lot of the Virginia bloggers were actually delegates or, yeah. you know, um, volunteering for the Democratic Party. But, uh, yeah, at the press table, there were only, well, if I don't really count the 15-year-olds. But. Yeah. <laughs> they can't vote. Yeah. Uh, Donna, you went you went to the California convention, right? And you took your daughter. I right? did. I got to meet uh, Glenna, and I got to see Stefania, and it was fun. But, um, you know, you could really tell the bloggers. You know, there, there was one little blogger party that was hosted by uh, y- by the youngest superdelegate in our delegation. And um, you go in there, and they looked like computer geeks. And then we come in, you know, our mom, you know, it's in our mom clothes and me with my kid. And, you know, you could just see we, we were different from the other bloggers who were there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's, and are you yeah, the one who got the comment? I'm sorry? Go ahead. Oh, are you the one who got the comment about oh mommy bloggers? Did you get that? Um, I don't know. I think that we always get that comment. I, don't we all get that comment? Yeah, pretty you know, much. I actually feel like I got a lot of respect at the Texas convention, um, and and it's it might just be a matter of unification. Believe it or not, um, these these people have organized and become. Uh, you know, I, I referenced Charles Kuffner. He was uh, at the lunch interview with me yesterday with Rain Mins, the state senatorial candidate. He he was, um, you know, the we previously the week before went to a meeting with the Harris County Democratic Party. Um, I, I can't remember if he's the campaign manager, if that's what he's called. Uh, he's the general campaign manager is his specific title. And he was like, oh, yeah, you know, Charles Kuffner, he's he's one of the most influential voices. And I think he was saying that a magazine had named him one of the top 35 most influential voices in Texas. I mean, that's total. And he's a blogger. And I, and I they, some of these people have come into the state ahead of me and paved a very sweet path um, that you know, has got a lot of recognition. So I, I really, I just get to cruise on the highway, basically. Um, so I don't know. And, and, and I don't I don't seem to get much guff about being a mom or, or a mom-o-crat. You know, 
people say, oh, cool, I get a lot of enthusiasm from the female candidates. Oh, momocrats, this looks great. <laughs> oh, I have to tell you about that, ladies. I actually ran into someone at the convention who had read our blog before, <gasps> and she <gasps> practically did backflips. It was so fantastic. <laughs> it was cool. Probably the highlight of the the convention. We were set up, the press, we were set up along the back wall of the, of the convention hall, and they had signs on the table that said reserved for press, but you couldn't see them from a distance. So a lot of people would come up to us thinking maybe we were working for the convention and ask us questions like, where's the bathroom? Or um, do you know where I get a new pass or something like that? And the reporters, most of the reporters are pretty snooty to them. Mm-hmm. Um, you have to go out there. I don't know. This is the press. But, you know, being a mom, I'm telling them, okay, the bathroom is right over there, and there's one right over there, but that one's got a line, you know. And uh, (laughs) someone came up and said, you know, well, you're with the press, and you have a camera here. She's like, maybe you can help me with mine. And she she was having a problem with the battery in her camera, and, you know, I was fiddling with it, and, and I got it to work again. And she was so excited, and she's like, what's your name? And so I gave her one of my cards, and I told her, you know, I said, I write for Mama Crap, Democratic blog. Hello? Yes. Sorry, I had a beep on my phone, so someone's <laughs> calling me. I thought blog radio was like, Stephanie, shut up now. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so she, um, so she was very excited about it, and her friend who was standing with her was like, Monocrats? Monocrats? I've read your blog! And so <laughs> for my card, and you know, we had a little love fest right there. And then when they left... Both gave me their cards as well, and you know, one of them is a delegate, and, and one of them was working for the campaign. And when they left, the press people were kind of looking at me sideways, and I'm like, "Well, I just made two contacts, so bite me." <laughs> yeah, oh, really. that is that is really fantastic. Well, here we go with the mom thing. My family just walked in the door, and it's 6:30 my time, so they're probably <laughs> ready for dinner. And that's the life of the political pundit slash mom. Um, but thank you guys so much for coming on today, especially I know we switched the topic at the last minute, so thank you. I, no I was nervous trying to handle it myself, and to know that you two were there just made me really excited that this was going to be really fun. So You did, you a, did great a great job. job. You really oh, did. Thank you. All right, well, you guys have a great evening. You too. We'll talk soon. soon. All right. Okay. Bye. 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 Bye.